0: just by way of an outline, I want to talk about your religious impulse. All of us have a religious impulse. We're going to talk about that and about the anxiety that can come with that. I want to also talk about who we're watching. And that, of course, is are we watching Jesus in this passage and what he is doing? Then I also want to talk about whether or not we're listening to the Spirit. Now, the flow of this passage essentially goes like this. The book of Hebrews is written to people who are tempted to turn back to Judaism. Uh, It is very likely that these folks and the person writing this epistle lives in Jerusalem. And, of course, that's where all the the temple actions happen. That's where all the traditions, the festivals happen. And so the temptation for these these people is, you know, this Christian thing brings nothing but strife and afflictions in my life. I'm going to give up on this thing and turn back to my old ways. My old friends will receive me. I can get back to uh, a much easier situation if I just embrace Judaism all over again. And so the writer of the Hebrews is giving them reasons to not do this. And and this passage is focused on uh, the the great high priest who is Jesus. And so this this passage is essentially uh, looking at the whole subject of what do we have in Jesus and what is the big deal about that. And you can sense right away in verse 1 about what's going on right away you can know that the person who's writing this is concerned about this religious impulse. Now, what do I mean by this religious impulse? This religious impulse is essentially the idea that I have to do something in order to be accepted. Um, it's, really, it's really kind of central in the way we think. Um, so, verse 1, here, here's how it goes. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come... Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices, there, there it is, that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So there's the religious impulse, uh, the activity. Uh, the woman I quoted, the child, the, the woman who's reflecting on her childhood, uh, she had a religious activity that was being told to her. If she continued to feel badly about herself as a sinner, Uh, Well, that's really what Christianity is. You just continue to feel badly about it. And so it's a process of being religious and never really coming to a final place where you can rest, find joy, and find God's acceptance. Now, these people were busy. The temple was busy. The temple was a kind of factory, always some kind of smoke rising from the temple, lots of activity at the temple. And as long as you see the activity in the temple... Something was communicated, and here's what was communicated. Sins have never been forgiven. As long as you see smoke rising from the temple, some animals uh, given its life, as long as you see that, no real atonement has taken place. And what's the message underneath this system or communicated by this system? Here's your sin. Here's your sin. Here's your sin. And you read the because it's being repeated you are always reminded that you haven't really been forgiven. There's the hope of forgiveness, but you haven't really been forgiven. So that's why the author here in verse 1 says, it can never, the temple activity can never, right? And so this is kind of the, these are authorized sacrifices. These are authorized, but they don't even work, right? Now think about other ideas that we have about being religious, right? Uh, There's Again, there are many, many areas here, but people feel the sense that they're trying to get better. They're on a self-improvement project, right? And uh, they're hoping to get better, and they come along, and they will perhaps, you know, uh, give to a charity, serve at a charity, help a nonprofit. And so the idea is that most of us are walking around uh, hoping to get better, perhaps even thinking we are getting better, but... We're always on a treadmill. Religious people don't have a sense of having once been cleansed. They don't have that sense. So the energy of one's life is spent in many ways of trying to be righteous. The religious impulse is this animated awareness I'm still in a state of not being accepted. And not even being accepted by myself. There might even be some sort of softer expressions of this. Sort essentially like uh, I listened to two atheists this week, and it was very interesting for for me to listen to how they thought. What did they, what did they think Christianity was about? And they said uh, the reason why you're a Christian is you want to improve yourself. And I thought, huh? Well, <laughs> I think um, that's not really the gospel. Uh, and they were. They're, they're actually very uh, amenable and actually very sympathetic towards Christianity. They were actually, It's good that we have Christians in the world. They were not uh, mean, uh, bitter atheists and thinking we were the, were the worst people in the world. Uh, but this religious impulse is this activity to assuage the conscience. So let me ask you, when you think about your Christianity, when you think about Jesus, when you think about your conscience, um, what happens at that moment? Uh, do you... Does your head drop? You sort of think, well, I, you know, and you think about your prayer life. You think about your Bible reading. You think about your lack of this or that. Does your head sort of drop? Or what happens when you hear, uh, when you hear about the idea of, well, how's your relationship with Christ? Or how's it going between you and God? And you sense already your imperfections, right? Already you sense a bit of guilt. You feel feel some shame, right? Right. And again, look at verse 4. Notice that even authorized sacrifices can never take away sins. That's interesting. Never can really take care of this religious impulse. They really can't fix the idea that we need to have final atonement. It's interesting now, our present cultural moment is expressing a religious impulse. We have prophets and priests or priest-like figures arising from academia and who are prescribing their atonement theories for societal sins uh, to fix and cure racism uh, and individual sins. You as an individual and as society are in a shameful condition. And uh, these, again, prophets and kind of priests are coming along and prescribing to us an atonement theory. Uh, and, you know, you're not enough. You're not enough. And so you, uh, you need to do this and you need to do this. Stop doing this. And you, to make yourself accessible, a- acceptable. And I want you to think about if you're, uh, if you're a Christian here today, the non-Christians you interact with, they have an awareness of this. This is not going away. No matter how much they've uh, achieved in life, uh, this idea that I've got to work and making myself acceptable is very real. It's very, very real. And, uh, and God, by his law, increases this sense of I'm not acceptable in and of myself. And so we have really uh, this impossibility that's presented. The writer to the Hebrews here in the first seven verses of chapter 10 is saying, even authorized sacrifices present something that can't be done. They are, not, they are not able to do the work. And so what the writer does here is they begin to uh, apply to the heart of their original audience. This is really kind of a sermon. I'm preaching on a sermon, essentially. And uh, the author here is now going to have their original audience now look to Jesus they're going to have them look to Jesus as, as, as the relief for this situation. And so let me just, we'll just transition to point number two here. Uh, is anyone watching Jesus and what he's doing now? Okay. Uh, now, the writer here is going to quote Psalm 40 to introduce Jesus. And uh, in Psalm 40, there is a kind of conversation going on. Someone's talking in Psalm 40. And what's happening is, in Psalm 40, we learn that it is the eternal Son of God talking to the Father and saying, uh, essentially, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, uh, but what you have prepared, verse 5, is a body. So the eternal Son of God is talking to the Father. You have prepared for me a body. And uh, then in verse 9, I have come to do your will. So someone's talking in the middle of this passage we're looking at, and they are saying, I've come, uh, give me a body, and I will do your will, Father. Right? So in the context of all this religious activity and the the temple sacrifices that won't work, now we hear someone's talking, uh, and it's Jesus who's talking, uh, give me a body, and I'll do your will, Father. So, um, this is where our hope is found. And I can't tell you how many people, and these are uh, people from within the church, and these are people from outside the church, how many people are looking for a sign from God that they are okay. Uh, I cannot tell you how often I am reading Christian books that essentially say this. Uh, do this, do this, and do this, and a blessing is going to fall from heaven. Uh, it can sound like destiny things, you know. If you do this, and you really pray hard, and you really look for this, and you really seek after this, and then there will be there'll be a moment when God's destiny is revealed to you, and all, a lot of your troubles are going to go away. You're going to be you'll be floating 12 inches off the ground. You're going to be everything's going to work out. I can't tell you how many people are burdened and saddened. Because they are surrounded by people who this is supposedly working for them. And when they gather with their Christian friends, they're under the scrutiny of wondering, well, what's wrong with you? Because you have not followed the prescription. You haven't followed the six steps to the dynamic life, to the destiny that God has for you. This is all around the evangelical church today. And I want to tell you, it is not the gospel. People are climbing mountains, hoping to somehow get closer to God, to somehow get the relationship up and going. And they are not hearing the voice of Jesus, who's telling the Father, give me a body and I'll do your will. And what we have in the gospel is we are watching Jesus and we are listening to him. He's the mountain climber. Take your boots off. He's the one we're watching. His is the body that we need. He's the one who does the will of God. And I have the question, is anyone watching? Is anyone watching Jesus? This week I was thinking to myself, I'm going to be Johnny one Note this morning. I'm just going to have the gospel once again. And that's all we have as a church. All we have is a gospel. And the gospel is more than enough. And how are you dealing with your religious impulse that creates such anxiety? You want some sign from God. I can show you where the epicenter of God's love for you is. And it's, at, it's in the life and the death of Jesus. Where can you find relief, brothers and sisters? Once again, are you looking for a sign that God loves you? Are you looking for some evidence that God's working out some special plan for your life? And that special plan is going to be the evidence that God loves you. Well, the special plan is underway in Jesus and there's an impossibility of all other offerings. All other offerings, whether you come up with your own idea about what you want to offer to God or you even want to follow the Old Testament, all those offerings. All, all those offerings, none of those are going to work. And the scriptures explicitly say in verse 5, Sacrifices are not what you desire. Tell that to religious people. <laughs> no, put, put your offering away. And you have seen firsthand the religions of the world, and they're all about this, offering a sacrifice, offering some some sweet cakes to to a Hindu god. Rice cakes, hoping that somehow there will be some magic happen between themselves and the god, and they'll get the god's attention. Do you hear the eternal son of God say to the father, for you, this is important, do you hear the eternal Son of God say to the Father for you, I will be the body they need, and I will do the will of God that they need to be done? That will deal with our religious impulse, where we're just watching Jesus. And then lastly, I just want to cover, that, is, it, is anyone listening to the Spirit? And the, the this is a, a preacher who is really loaded for bear, <laughs> by the way. Um they are stacking argument after argument after argument in this text, I recognize we're just dropping down on this text rather quickly. You're like, "Whoa, what's going on? How do I get oriented?" This this preacher is uh, is his Psalm 40. Uh, Jeremiah 31, quoting Old Testament passages and driving, driving the point, it's never been about our religiosity. It's never about the, the blood of bulls and goats doing anything. It's never been about these things, but it's been about the arrival of the Son of God, fulfilling everything, not only being our high priest who presents the offering, but he is the offering itself. And uh, essentially, the writer is saying, Thirdly, is anyone listening to the Spirit? The Spirit speaking in the Old Testament. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. Again, witness to about what? About the coming the coming victory of Jesus, the one, the one who does all this. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. This is Jeremiah 31, 33. I will put their laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, verse 17, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. And then verse 18, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jeremiah 31, 34 reads this way. It's not quoted here, but it's, the original reads this way as well. I will be their God and they will be my people. Romans 5.1. Now that the offering has taken place, now that we have received by faith justification, we have peace with God. Romans 8.1. There's no more shame. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has brought us in. The Son of God has fulfilled the promise of the Father to not remember our sins and account us sinners anymore. It is Jesus who is our great high priest, always applying his own sacrifice and forever securing the peace, the no condemnation for those who believe who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that woman we started with. Remember that woman reflecting on her childhood. And she says this of her Christianity. The Christianity of my childhood offered me no way out of my unhappiness. No way out of my unhappiness. The theories and the ideas from the academy that are profoundly shaping our society will bring no happiness. They take the shape of a religion. Atonement theories, sacrifices, offerings, they will bring no happiness. Listen carefully to what our society or the latest trends from academia or social media say about what you ought to be in order to be saved or to justify yourself or to account for your transgressions. Plans, ideas, atonement theories that prescribe works that you must do to be acceptable and to usher in a utopian age They will not. The contritions, the offerings, the sacrifices prescribed never address our guilt and our shame. And endless sacrifices, they will never accomplish anything. One cannot work, or excuse me, one cannot find in the work of our great high priest the message that you're still not enough. You cannot find Jesus applying his atonement in heaven, to the Holy of Holies, that's where he applies it. You cannot find that taking place, and then there's some sort of question about those for whom that atonement takes uh, is, is made on behalf of. For our great high priest does what the high priest did in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement. The Old Testament high priest in Leviticus 16 describes what he would do. He would walk into the Holy of Holies which is the innermost sanctuary of the of the tabernacle or the temple and he would apply the blood of the sacrifice there once a year on top of this box called the ark of the covenant in between two gold figures of angels and he would apply blood on the on the lid of that box and that high priest was wearing a breastplate described in exodus and in leviticus As having 12 stones. And that high priest would carry this breastplate would have these 12 stones. And then the 12 tribes of Israel were etched on each of the stones or one stone for each name. And that high priest would walk in and present the blood on the top of that Ark of the Covenant. And that blood would represent those tribes But it's interesting that Jesus is not just called a high priest. He's called the great high priest. And where does he apply his work? He applies his work of atonement, not on some earthly temple, but before the Holy of Holies in heaven. And he brings your name there. He brings you into this place. And if you want to know what shame is, shame is the sense of I'm not enough it actually has its roots in the word profane and the word profane has its roots in the word of uh, the idea of being outside the temple I can't approach the holy place I can't approach the holy place and Jesus presents himself his sacrifice with your name on the sacrifice He wears our names. He does this this in order to get us off the treadmill of our personal atonement efforts to cover our shame finally and permanently, to relieve us from personal philosophies, trendy ideas, religious ideas that really can only exhaust us. God desires us, loves us, and presents for us this marvelous truth. Verse 14, I hope that you will memorize this. Put it on your refrigerator. Keep it in your on your car dash. Put it on your coffee mug. Listen to this. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. My God my goodness, there are no reasons, brothers and sisters, for us to think that we have been abandoned or uncared for or not thought of, that we have been perfected through the work of Jesus for all time. We've been set apart. We are his. Let's rejoice in this truth. This is our great High Priest. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word, that it connects the Old and New Testament, the themes, the connectivity is amazing. Father, we're grateful for the plan, that the fullness of time was revealed, that you intended to bring the eternal Son of God in human form to this earth. And there, oh God, you have have brought the covenant keeper who lived the life we could not live and died the death we could not die in order to present us as a single offering, perfecting us. Our Father, this is so beautiful. We thank you for the high priest who intercedes for us now, who prays for us, who even sings among his people. We're grateful that you now feed your flock. We give you the praise. We give you the worship. We honor you, acknowledge your goodness to us, and help us, O oh God, when we feel the impulse to improve ourselves, the impulse to cover ourselves, the impulse to be righteous because of some activity we've done. Oh God, we pray we would think of our high priest, who took our very names, right to the holy of holies in heaven, and from from there we have been cleansed. In the name of the high priest who came for us, we pray, Amen. Amen. So it's uh, important uh, subjects uh, how Christ loves us.